Hello, my friends. It's Ryan from the Prolific Creator Podcast. Now, many of you have asked, hey, Ryan, how do I support the show? Well, I finally listened. Starting today, you can subscribe to the Prolific Creator Plus on ACAST Plus for $3 a month. That's less than a cup of coffee. No apps to download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Get access to the entire archive of Prolific Creator Awesomeness. Over 160 episodes going back to 2017. Yes, that's right, my friends. A plethora of information and inspiration, tips, tricks, and interviews to get your art and work into the world. Remember those ads? Say bye, bye, bye. Wait, there's more. For $5 a month, you can get access to the full prolific creator experience. This includes the full archives, early access to episodes, listener Q&A, book and movie reviews, and interviews not for the public, and perhaps any other awesomeness I might do on the microphone. Sounds awesome, right? Yeah, it does, Ryan. If you want to listen for free, you'll notice the last 50 episodes or so will always be available wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember, by subscribing today, you don't have to download any new apps, and you can simply keep listening on the podcast platform you prefer. Cool. Okay. Cool. Thanks for your love and support in advance. Simply click on the link in the show notes or on my website, and it'll take you where you need to go. Now on to the show. Hey, this is Ryan from The Prolific Creator, where we talk about life and art and see what sticks. Well, hello, my friends. Today, I have another fantastic conversation, a fantastic interview. How many times can you say fantastic? With Joe Phoenix, and Joe Phoenix is the CEO of Givinga, which is an um, online platform uh, that helps people give and be generous. And really had a great time talking to Joe. What I love about Joe is just as we've kind of made a little pivot in our podcast that we talk with writers and publishers and creative people, but but also creativity and, and building things, making things is a creative endeavor. Uh, it's a piece of art. And, and Joe has created a, a beautiful piece of art uh, with his philanthropy work and the online platform that he's built. Uh, and what's cool about Joe's story, and it inspires me, and hopefully it'll inspire you, is that he, um, in his older years, um, I don't want to say he's an old man, but uh, when he was about 50, he made this pivot into this new job and really had this kind of calling uh, to start this uh, new company to help people give and be generous and, uh, and, and guide people in that. And so you're going to hear about that in our conversation. And, and when I think about art, art isn't about paint and canvas or writing books or publishing whatever we publish but art is about doing the generous thing it's about leadership it's about taking something that wasn't there and starting something uh, creating beautiful things putting beautiful things and helpful things in the world and, and joe phoenix certainly is doing those things with his platform and really wanted to leave a legacy uh, to his his children and his grandchildren and uh, to say this is the kind of work that i want to leave behind something that really makes a, a big dent in the world and helps people in a million different ways. And so, uh, so I, I just hope that when you listen to this podcast, whatever different guests we have on, whether they're authors or whether they're CEOs or entrepreneurs or painters or dancers or um, whatever they're, they're making is that you realize that, that it's all art. Um, it's all about making beautiful things and important things and putting it out in the world to help other people. Uh, so be encouraged by that. Uh, uh, also want to let you know, um, just as we, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, we're getting close to November and November is national novel writing month. And it's something I participate in every year where hundreds of thousands of people around the world participate in trying to write a 50,000 word rough draft of a novel in a month during the month of November. Uh, and so when I think about writing a novel, uh, when I think about getting work out in the world, um, I've written about 10 novels thus far is it can be a challenge. It can be a struggle. Um, and so uh, quite a few years ago, I put, to, put together a course called the 45-Day Novel, and it really was my way of sharing my experiences of writing novels and uh, getting that work out of the world. And, and National Novel Writing Month was the, the encouragement and the impetus that I needed to get, get going. And so uh, if you want to check out my course, it's on my website, ryanjpelton.com. Um, 45 day novel course, a great course to maybe perhaps think about after you're done writing your rough draft of your novel. How do I write, write it? How do I get it out in the world? How do I edit it? How do I market it? All those good things. And hopefully it'll be a helpful course. You can check it out on the website and I'll put that in the show notes as well. 
Um, also, if you want to stay updated on all that's going on, check out the newsletter. Um, I'm starting a new, new newsletter called The Daily Nudge, and it's my way to help creative people, whether you're an artist, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're writing books, whether you're publishing, writing poetry, whatever you're doing, just to encourage you to keep you moving along, keep you creating, um, sharing stuff for life and sharing stuff for art and uh, not only helping us be better artists, but also to be better humans. And so hopefully the daily nudge will help you along. It will nudge you along. And uh, so you can check that out as well. And I also um, give updates on the podcast and new stuff coming out as well. Well, I had a great time with Joe Phoenix and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Let's get to that right now. Well, hey, welcome everybody to the Prolific uh, Creator Podcast. So thankful today to have Joe Phoenix on the show. And Joe is the CEO of Gavinga. And uh, I'm really excited. I might have said it wrong. I'm not sure, but um, he, he will correct <laughs> no, perfect. us. Perfect. Uh, both Phoenix and Gavinga. You there got them go. both right. There we go. <laughs> and uh, you have a great name, by the way. And uh, yeah, so I'm really, really happy to have Joe on the show. And he's going to talk a little bit about his work and what he's doing in the uh, philanthropy uh, space and uh, the creativity and the entrepreneurship, all kinds of good stuff. So, so hey, Joe, why don't you say hello and tell us uh, tell us one thing that maybe only your closest friends and family know about you. Well, that's a good one. Well, hello, everybody. It's great to be on and uh, really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you here for the next hour. I think um, maybe one thing that people don't know about me Um in between, you know, trying to figure out how to create these super cool companies, um, I um, I like to garden as a uh, r- relaxer. It's the, the thing that I really probably enjoy more than almost anything is getting out in the garden and getting my f- hands in the soil and, you know, just creating something out there while we're trying to create something in here. All right. Well, I love that. I Yeah, there's something about, I was telling somebody the other day, mowing my lawn is such a... yeah spiritual experience because i feel like in life so many things feel undone and they're you know not not never going fast enough but when you mow your lawn you just feel like completeness you know something you do. Ac- actually accomplished maybe you feel like that <laughs> in the gardening too you get the get your hands in the dirt and uh see some some progress so um well joe um i'm really uh happy to have you on the show because i think uh you definitely your story fits really well with kind of what we're mm. about and our community is about and entrepreneurship and creativity and starting things and um, and one of the things that I was kind of researching a little bit with your story is, uh, you actually kind of late in career, late in later, a little later in life. Um, I don't want to yeah. call you an old guy, but, um, Go ahead. <laughs> you know, kind of the, kind of the back hack, half of your career, you, you kind of made a pivot into uh, some of the work you're doing now. So, um, I, I know there's a lot of people listening that, you know, feel that tension. Like, is there something else for me? Or I have this thing I want to start and I, I feel scared or I need to provide for my family. I don't know what to do. Mm. Um, tell us a little bit of that, that journey into kind of pivoting into the work you're doing now. Well, I think that, um, you know, if, if you look at entrepreneurs, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Uh, I think that we all share um, common set of traits. I mean, there's something that's driving us towards what we're doing something we uh, believe passionately in and we believe passionately enough in it that um, it moves us to do something outside of our comfort level. I think that um, not every entrepreneur, but a majority of them are doing something that is in some cases very different from what they've done in the past um, or outside of the box, if you will, from what their kind of traditional um their traditional model was. And, you know, I was, that, that was kind of the definition of where I was. I had a, I had a great career as in asset management for 30 years. I worked for the same company for 25 years and I just started bumping up against this sense that um, there was something else that I wanted to do, as you said, in the second half of my career. Um, (laughs) And, uh, but that's, that, that's actually really appropriate. You know, I, I remember I turned 50 years old. I, I woke up one day, kind of a whole variety of things kind of came together. And I started thinking that, wow, this could be like the only thing that I ever do. Um, and there were some other avenues that I wanted to pursue. And I think that, you know, is it scary to do it? Yeah. I mean, change is scary. It's a different, it's a different direction. Um, you take away some of the, uh, 
you know, some of the safety netting underneath you. Um, but, um, you know, I look, looking back on the decision and looking back at the company now and kind of where we, where we are versus where we started, uh, it's just been a phenomenal experience. And I think that, you know, you have to assess if it fits inside of your own kind of personal where you are and what you're trying to do and, you know, where you are in your life, where you are in your family, you know, do all those things kind of fit together. And I think that's kind of why you see entrepreneurs in general kind of barbelling, right? Where you've got all of these young, super smart um, kids coming out of school, leaving school early to create these super cool companies. And then you have guys like me who've had a career and have, you know, built up a nest egg and been able to do some things that then give us the ability once kind of kids get out of the house and family life starts to settle back down to do the same thing. So it's, it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at both sides of it. Oh uh, yeah. I think there's something interesting in your story. Cause I, I've uh, started a couple of nonprofits myself and yeah. you know, one of them really, really young, probably too young to have done that. Um, but then you look back and you say like, like there's this kind of youthful angst and it, you just don't know what you don't know. And you just leap into it. But there, yeah. there is, there is a gift to getting older and, um, you know, getting beat up, failing, um, you know, you starting a company, but really having all that life experience and, you know, seeing a lot of things you may have gone into it actually in some ways set up better than the young person that's maybe kind of right. overwhelmed and, you know, doesn't, hasn't really been beat up yet enough. And, you know, but you've, you've kind of seen it all. And so is, is that, was that a little bit of your, and I'm not trying to you know put words in your mouth, but I mean, was there something to that, that starting it maybe wasn't as scary as maybe a, a young man or woman that was just kind of leaping into the dark? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I, th- I just think you're at a different you're at a different life stage. Um, you know, I, I I'd call it youthful youthful exuberance, right? Versus um, you know jumping in a little bit later in life with life experiences that you can kind of fall back on. Um, and I I don't think that there's any right path. I think I think both sides of that uh, both sides of that obviously work. But um, you know, in in my case, the timing of this was just Right. Um, you know, kids were uh, either on their way to college, out of college, you know, kind of the big life decisions had been made. Um, and it just was a perfect opportunity to take this experience and these set of experiences that I gained in, you know, my previous career and put them to use in something that, you know, didn't really exist in the marketplace. And that, that to me was enough to really kind of, you know, get me excited to, to start moving forward. Now, was there uh you know, as you're kind of processing this, you've, you obviously were, it sounds like thinking about it long before you made the leap. Mm. It wasn't just like one day you woke up, it's like, I'm doing it. Uh, right. But you know, there's something kind of unsettling, or I think I read uh, in, in your bio, uh, just this thing about legacy. Like, was there something I wanted to leave behind mm-hmm. maybe, maybe different than what I left before? Um, yeah what was there any thought process of like, this is like a really an entrepreneurial type of endeavor. I don't know what your other work was like, but I mean, that idea of like, I'm kind of launching out, um, I'm on my own, um, started something from scratch. Uh, did that part factor in at all? Or were you just kind of like, this is what I'm passionate about. I think I need to do it. I'm going to figure it out. How do you think about that? Or was there some inklings of maybe this is how I'm wired to to do or what to do? No, I I think there were, if you can look back and create a narrative, but the narrative was, complicated, right? I mean, I think that there were elements of everything that you just said in the narrative, meaning it was something new, the timing was right. Um, I, I thought the idea um, had merit. Um, the, the legacy piece was super important to me, um, just building and creating something that not only my children understood, but they appreciated. Um, and, you know, this whole idea, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny being on the prolific creator because I'm literally surrounded by artists in my family. Um, my daughter's, a, um, she, she works in LA. She's a writer and an actor and she's got these amazing talents. Um, I've got painters, grandparents that were painters, um, sides of my family that can sing, you know, all of these various things. I inherited none of those things. <laughs> Um, but in so many ways, you know, taking an idea that exists in your mind, that's just floating around in the ether, right. And building that into something 
is very artistic if you think about it it's the you know the the parallels that you can paint that you can literally paint between those things and taking an idea from just kind of nothing and then all of a sudden turning it into something tangible is just really interesting and um really fulfilling and that was the piece that that was the piece that really excited me and i think that you know i i couldn't do this without my previous career my previous career not only gave me the financial ability to do this but it also gave me the tools that i think are critically important um you know from understanding how businesses get built understanding the markets understanding you know things that can go right things that can can go wrong the power of your brand all of those types of things are learned experiences so i think you combine those two things all of those things together and it gives you um you know it gives you advantages as you as you start to build these things at a little bit older age Oh, it's good. It's good to, for you to kind of reiterate what what our show's about because I think creativity is such more of a broader term. I mean, I think of it leader, is. leadership. You know, there there's more of an art to it than a science. You know, there's dealing with people, dealing with businesses, dealing with there's there's this kind of problem solving thing, and it's all creative work. Like it's you know, and I think we do narrow it down to like paint on canvas or what your daughter's doing, which is very you know obvious. Yeah, you know, actor, singer, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, to say like, like art is really about, you know, doing the generous thing, doing the creative thing, doing the, creating something that wasn't there, making something better, um, right. you know, giving hope to, uh, you know, to people, whatever that may look like. Um, and it sounds like a, a lot of, um, I could hear it in your voice, just the, the passion for this company and what mm. you wanted to leave behind was there was obviously a need in the market. Uh, there was something you felt strongly about and you wanted to kind of meet that need and say, okay, well, what does this look like? How do we do this? Um, and, and it's around uh, philanthropy. Um, so let's, let's get into that a little bit, just kind of the, how did the, we'll back it up a little is, you know, how did the kind of seed of the idea begin? Like, when did you start feeling the rumblings of like, I want to do something like this? Uh, how did that, how did it all begin? Well, I, I think that, you know, seeds get planted in kind of interesting ways. And I think this seed was, I had, um, I had a very successful financial career, um, but that financial career was in, in many ways kind of one dimensional. It was um, financially successful. Um, there wasn't a lot of spiritual success associated with that. Um, and I just started thinking about, um, you know, you've only got so many, so many work days. You've only got so many days on the planet. What are you doing here? Um, is there a way that you can take kind of your God-given talents and build something that has real meaning that can impact, um, you know, the community or people around you. And I just, that was kind of where I started on this. I didn't really, didn't really know what I, what I wanted to, to build out of that. Um, I then fell into these co- super cool giving vehicles called donor advised funds. Um, they've been around forever. Uh, it's 90 year old industry. No one knows how they work. And I played around. I played around with those. They are the most flexible giving vehicle on the planet. And once I realized that you could create a um, a platform that uh, that allowed those to be created, and then we started thinking about what if you wrap technology around that. I mean, our platform we refer to um, as a philantech platform. That's a specific word that we picked. Um, and the reason that we picked it is. If you think about any industry that you add tech next to, so whether it's biotech, health tech, ed tech, fintech, um, the, the parallels that those industries have with that tech added to them is that it takes an industry that's been closed, um, inaccessible to a large group of people, and it opens it, it democratizes it. It opens those tools um, to people that haven't had access to them before. It broadens that marketplace and it allows more people to interact with this super interesting, super important industry. And by interacting more with it, have more impact. And so when we started thinking about the philanthropic world and we started thinking about, you know, if you play word association and I say philanthropist, you're not saying 25 year old um, (laughs) that's just trying to figure out how to make an impact in the world. It's got a few dollars that they want to give to charity. Um, you're certainly not thinking inclusive. You're not thinking open. 
Um, and you're not thinking masses, but if you wrap technology around philanthropy and you, um, and you include these super cool vehicles that allow you to uh, build a portfolio, collect dollars, interact with others, link with your company, um, link with people that share your common interests, and then the technology tracks all of that activity, manages it, reports on it, puts you in touch with uh, charitable organizations that you're interested in, all of a sudden, you're now looking, acting, and participating in philanthropy at a level that most people never thought that they'd have a chance to, to, to do. So once we started thinking about that and then you know just played around with, okay, what's this market look like? We gradually moved from donor advised funds to this platform, to this platform that now plugs into just about any other platform, whether it's directly into companies, other partners, other platforms. And if you're giving money away um, and you tell us what that definition is, because that's changing right now, this platform makes it easier. And, you know, that whole process, just like creating a, a work of art, right? It starts with you paint the background, right? And you start with a general kind of idea of what you think you're, you're, you're going to create. And then you just start adding elements and pieces to it. And then you sit back and you listen to the market. You listen to the feedback. You know, are you on the right path? You adjust. You change part of it. You maybe paint over part of what you've been doing and start again um, until you get a until you have a company and an outcome that fits where you really think the uh, the market's going to be. So, I mean, it's really just been. I, th I think a lot of times people will come on and say, hey, I had this grand vision, right? And I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I started at step one and I went step one to step 10,000 and ta-da, here it is. And that's just really not the way that it works. It's like you start with this you know, fire that's kind of burning in you, this passion that you've got for something. And you may take 15 steps forward and then 10 steps to the side and then 30 steps backwards. And then you start moving forward again and you're listening and you're iterating and you're evolving. And eventually you get where, you know, where we are today. So it's just, it's, it's a, been a very interesting process um, that has involved a whole bunch of people from, you know, customers that we work with to the marketplace to, you know, the world-class employees that we have at the firm that, are working on aspects of this and then providing us guidance as to whether the, the company's going in the right direction. And um, all those things kind of working together have created this thing that is now tangible. And that's really the, uh, the cool part of this. No, there's a, I mean, there's a lot to, to unpack here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, could right. talk, we could talk about, you know, starting something, you know, and, and I think, you know, just, we can come back to it, but I think we get so obsessed with, you know, step 10,000, like you said, is you do. we don't, we don't yeah. do step one, you know, we don't step two and see where it goes and then adjust, evolve, you know, tweak, you know, whatever we need to do. It's like, we want it all done now, or we think it's got to go this way. And I, I've just found as I've started a couple of nonprofits too, it's, I mean, if you, if you looked at my plan and then looked where we are, it's, they're totally different universes. Yes. But, part, but part of that is learning along the way and saying, actually, this is better, or this is mm. not good. And this needs to go, you know, here, there, right. whatever. Um, but I wanted to come back to, um, the bigger vision, I think, and the bigger kind of idea that you had, because I think, and I don't know if it's because you have children that, you know, obviously were younger. Um, I have a, a teenager in high school and right. some other kids. And um, I'm just seeing this generation that uh, doesn't want to just work a job, but they want to make a difference. And, yes. uh, and they want to make sure that the company that they work for, or, you know, even the nonprofit is doing good work in the world you know, being generous, giving to things that they're passionate about. And I was kind of reading a little bit of what you guys do and some of your story. And, and it seems like there is this generation, my, you know, my son included and, and my other kids, but they just say like, it's not just about making a paycheck, but it's, I, I do, I do want to make a difference. And, yes. um, you know, the paycheck's nice, but you know, what can we do to help people? What can we do to make sure our company's leveraging even revenue for good? Um, yes. Was that something that you like, 
consciously were thinking about as you were kind of starting this or, I mean, were you seeing the kind of shift in the waters? Cause I, I know like my dad, like I never had these conversations about like, right. you know, like, so you're going to, you know, go work for a company. Uh, what do they, you know, are, are they given to the good things? Are they you know right. ethical? It's like, no, just if they pay a lot of money, it's fine. Just, you know, suck it up. Um, you know, and I know that's shifting, but yeah, talk, talk me through that, that part of it. Cause I think this really resonates with a lot of people, uh, younger yeah, generation, they- I should say. A- absolutely there there is a there is a shift underway um we've we've been thinking about it and talking about it for seven or eight years now um it is a shift that's being driven by this next generation right so i'm a, i am the very last year of the baby boomers i was born in 1964 um so every generation behind me has has raised their game, has raised this bar. And I think that um, if you think, if you look at the history of giving in the United States, and let's just take corporate giving as an example, first employee match program was created in 1954 by General Electric. Um, Matching hasn't changed in 80 years. It's basically the same thing. and I think that corporate giving up until a decade or so ago was really a check the box exercise for companies. Um, do you give money to charity? Yes. How? United Way. Next question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today's generations aren't, um, they're not settling for that answer. And I think that it's even more than that. They're not just asking, what is your impact? They're asking, how can the impact that I want to have, how does, how does your company fit around that? What's, the process, what's the platform that you have in place that facilitates my ability as an individual to have a larger impact. And while companies were being pulled into this, I think things like uh, the George Floyd murder, um, to some extent, COVID-19, this move towards social justice, um, all the things that are going on right now with climate and climate change. I think all those things have Uh, poured accelerant on this. And companies have now realized that uh, not only is it bad business, but it's detrimental strategically for them to not have an answer and beyond an answer to not have a platform and a solution that says, this is what we're doing. This is how you can make an impact. And this is how, and I think that a lot of times focus on this is placed just on employees. This is an employee and consumer. It's an employee and customer issue as well. So, you know, just like employees are asking companies before they join, consumers are asking companies before they buy. Hmm. And this whole check the box exercise just doesn't exist anymore. And where, where we fit into that is, okay, so the check the box doesn't exist. So now you're in the prove it phase. And the prove it phase has been very difficult. Right. So giving money to charity, giving money away and donating money to charity is very easy. Doing it philanthropically and tracking and managing and being able to show the impact that you're having and linking all that together with employees and customers and then showing how that footprint that your company has created is increased. That's super complicated. Um, but that's where that's where we are right now. And those, all of those events have kind of come together. And what we're seeing now is we're doing a lot less pulling onto the platform and we're having a lot more conversations with, you know, small, medium, large uh, corporations, entities, platforms around how, you know, Philantech and this giving technology can really foster that and be, and become part of that strategic part of their business. And I think that, Strategic giving will be kind of the the next mantra. You know, it's not just giving money away anymore. Um, it's really how are you doing it? How is it impacting your community? How can that positively impact your business? And you know, how can you pull individuals in to really help you amplify that that impact? So all those things kind of swirling around are kind of where we sit in the middle. I love this because I I think there's a and you know they did a Harvard study and they basically said you know after after you make seventy thousand dollars like your happiness your joy isn't going to change much one way or the other <laughs> um, and and I think that's it's just it speaks to like we get to this point in our lives where we go like okay yeah like a little bit what you did like what's my impact what's my long term. Right where can I make a difference? And, and I think there is something to that where companies are realizing, I think Daniel Pink talks about this a little bit, the carrot, carrot and the stick. Um, you know, it's, it's just that 
you know, benefits and salaries and paychecks isn't enough to get people to come to your company or, or be a you know happy employee. They get to a point going, okay, what's the difference we're making? Like, can we, can we do something more than just make money? Can right. we a- actually be a blessing? Can we give, can we impact the community where we are? You know, and I think those are bigger questions. Like you said, I've come to the surface for a variety of probably complex, complex reasons, but um, I love this. Cause I think this is, um, well, let, let me say this. Uh, let me ask a question. Um, the work you're doing is, are you giving people the ability to give to what they want to give to, as opposed to just, well, I'm part of this company and we give to the United way, you know, good. Now I feel better about myself. Or is it, you're kind of putting it back in the hands of the companies of the individuals to say, Hey, you, you can choose what you want to be. Cause we'd all don't want to support the same things. Are we all aren't right. as excited about certain things? Is that, is that kind of the thinking or is it, uh, is it probably, I imagine it's more complex than that, but yeah, talk us through that a little bit. Yeah. I, I, ju- I use the word curated. Um, and, I think that you have to curate um, when you when you start thinking about making an impact. Um, so the, the platform's designed to allow you to customize, right? It's designed to give you access to any charitable organization in the United States and most charitable organizations on the planet um, that you that you want to give money to. I think the, I would answer this in two ways for the individual who's an employee of a company and they they want a, an account, and they want to start putting money away and they want to be a little bit more proactive with their giving. I think we all suffer from reactive giving in the United States, um, but they, you know, they want to be philanthropic giving involves being proactive and thinking about it and planning and then, you know, understanding that you can make an impact as you as you plan. It's just like planning for retirement or a kid's college education. For that individual, there is a limitless opportunity for them. For the company, there's limitless opportunity. But what we find with companies is that there's some there's specific things that companies like to do that attach to their various brands, right? And you'll know that this you'll know that this has taken hold when I can ask you to name five companies and what their impact is. And you can just rattle them off, right? I think that if I asked you to do that right now, you'd probably come up with Patagonia, right? I think everybody, they've done a phenomenal job. After that, you might be able to come up with one or two that are on the top of your head, but you don't really know. And I think that's a huge miss from the from the corporate uh, from the corporate side. And I think that companies are beginning to realize that. But the platform is really designed to ask the question. What is your definition of giving? So as an individual, as a corporation, as a partner or a platform, what are you trying to do? And we'll just make it easier for you. Technology is designed to centralize, organize, democratize, and just make the whole process easier. Um, and I think that, you know, the if I, if I wrapped a, a word over the, the top of all of that stuff, it would be transparent, right? Just give you the ability to really be transparent with your employees, your community, internal and external constituents. And, you know, th- that's, that's the, the cool thing about the, the technology once you start combining it with an industry that really has never had technology before. So you're not, you're not like, your job is kind of the middle, the middle, the mediator, if you will, or the middleman, as far as the platform, the technology to get them where they want to go, not telling them like, this is what, <laughs> what you should exactly. consider, or, you know, that's really not your role, right? It's more the, we, we yeah, want to make it easy for you to get it where you need to get it. Yeah. We're the, we're an engine. Think, think of us as a giving engine, right? That sits, that sits on a platform or sits in a company and makes that definition of the verb to give easier. I mean, I'll give you a couple of interesting examples. So the, the technology can be used to, you know, uh, link employees to companies and provide, you know, streamlined, easy to use matching uh, campaigns. Uh, we had a company here in Boston come to us. They're a biotech company. And they said, you know, our definition of giving is we have specific grant makers that want to attach to a specific researcher. So instead of just donating to the American Cancer Society, we have people that have a specific genetic defect causing a specific cancer that they want and need to find specific researchers for. And this technology allowed that person to use the the platform, get a tax deduction. The platform then goes out 
and searches for the researchers that are working on that specific genetic defect and connects those two people. We have another company here in Boston that is an online gaming company. And their differentiator is that 10% of all of their gaming, uh, all of your gaming winnings go to a charity of your choice, right? And we're the back end, final mile giving engine of that business. It's They're not in the giving business, they're in the online gaming business, but they wanted to have that piece attached to it. That was their definition of giving. So it's taking whatever your corporate personal definition of giving is and then just showing you how all this makes it a lot easier now do you uh do you have like limits on maybe limits not the right word but i mean let's say there's you know a lot of people listen to this show or you know artists creative people self-employed entrepreneurs smaller entities i mean do you work with big and small or does it i mean can just be an individual that's like i just want to give to you know whatever yeah i mean so the answer to that's yes uh the reason for that is what Gavinga Inc. is, is this combination of two things. So it's financial technology, which is the Gavinga Inc. for-profit business. It wraps around um, this entity called the Gavinga Foundation that we stood up as we were standing up the for-profit. And the Gavinga Foundation creates donor-advised funds. And because the Gavinga Foundation was created by us, we can create the rules around donor-advised funds. One of the big problem with problems with donor-advised funds and why pe- most people don't understand them or know about them is because they've really been tailor-made for the wealthy. And so most donor-advised funds have high minimums. They have very structured, methodical ways that you can access access your cash, that you can give your cash away. And we just... We just rework those rules. So you can create a donor advice fund on the platform for a dollar. You know, you can give you can give away very small amounts of uh, amounts of money. You can push it to a variety of different charities. It's really designed to empower a broader set of givers. And then, as we've seen in all these other industries where you attach tech to it, you empower a broader set. And then that broader set can go out and really have a meaningful impact. Yeah, I think I was reading you, you mentioned something about like, you know, when you think of the word philanthropy, you know, you, you automatically think about Bill Gates, you know, yeah. <laughs> which, you know, then everyone just closes their eyes and goes, well, that's not for me. And <laughs> never going to get there, never right? going to get there. Right. I mean, it's almost like the word needs to be reworked or something. Cause it just, it kind of puts people in categories and it's all, yeah, it's only the wealthy. It's only the, you know, but that's good for, I think people hearing that to say, Hey, this is not, this is for everybody. This isn't, you know, wherever your tax bracket is or whatever, whatever language you want to use. Um, yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about it, they're kind of two categories, they're, they're philanthropists um, and then they're donors. Right. And a philanthropist is, you know, generally we've already, you know, we've already kind of painted the picture of who they are. Right. Uh, but the one thing that they do extremely well is they're proactive, they're thoughtful, right? They have resources, they have time, they have assets to really think about, okay, what's what's the impact that I want to make? Um, donors are donors are people who are giving away money, and most of us are donors, right? Um, something pops up, it's unexpected, there's a fire, an earthquake, friend of ours gets sick, you know, there are any number of reasons, and it's a reactive exercise for most of us and it's inefficient and it's generally very expensive it's going on a credit card it's using a platform that's charging a significant fee it's taking advantage of the fact that you're being reactive to something and you haven't had a chance to really plan for it so if you take the best aspects of what a philanthropist is and you scrape off the you have to be a rich person to do it but you take all of those other things and then you combine them with the innate ability and the innate desire that people have to make an impact. And you combine those two things together and you really show people that really the only difference between donating and, and being a philanthropist is reacting or being proactive with the way that you're giving. And what, you know, what platforms like this do is they give you that ability to be proactive. Think about how to grow that uh, pool of money. Think about how to link to, you know, um, amplify what, what that pool looks like linked together with people that share your interests linked together with the company that you work for so that every dollar that goes out has maximum impact attached to it. That's, that's what being a philanthropist is. It really doesn't matter how much money you have. It's how much impact is each one of those dollars that you're giving away having, is it maximizing? And that's what tech, that's what tech really does to, um, you know, to, to, to facilitate that. 
like that. So, um, so Joe, you um, start this company. I don't know how many years ago. How many years ago now? We started thinking about it seven years ago. Okay. Incorporated it five and a half, six years. Coming up on six years. Okay, so you're you know you're fairly new into this. You're still yeah. learning, still evolving, still growing. Um, let's take it back a little bit, just on the creative side, the getting started side. Um, yeah. So you leap from financial world, stable job, working the same job for 25, 30, 30 years, going to start this yeah. new company. Um, talk through a little bit of, of, you know, early stages, kind of lesson lessons learned, you know, whether that's through failure or through uh, trying something and doing really well at it, or what, what were just some, some things that kind of have, have come out of just taking that leap and putting your hands to the plow and trying to figure it out. Um, give us a couple of stories or a couple of examples. Sure. Um, I, I think the first the first thing that I would say is I follow I've learned to follow a rule um, when it comes to building businesses. I call it the two and a half rule, and it is um, take any estimation that you have from how long something's going to take to how much it's going to cost to how much of your time it's going to take, and just multiply it by two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really gets you closer to the reality of what you're working on. Um, it never ceases to amaze me, A, how fast time goes on one side as you're, as you're working on things, how quickly capital gets spent, you know, how, how much you have to plan in advance for those types of things, how you have to constantly be thinking about that. Um, but I just remember going into this saying, this will be easy, right? I mean, we'll create this thing, we'll stand it up, people will love it. You know, you're, we'll be off to the next thing. And, you know, we're five years into it and we're still iterating, still growing, still trying to figure things out. Um, and I've just, I've just found that if I take something, if I take an estimate that I'm given and I multiply that by two and a half, it gets me really close to, you know, what actually is, what actually is going on. Um, I think the, I think the second thing that I would say to anybody who's looking at doing this is be passionate about the idea that you have, but be absolutely open and honest to hearing feedback from the marketplace and understand how valuable and important that feedback is. Like a customer complaining about your product is someone who has who cares enough to take the time to lodge a complaint or tell you something that they don't like about the product. And that is, that's not something to be upset about. That's like liquid gold to a company. And it's very Con, it's counterintuitive to how we are as human beings, right? You've got this wonderful idea. Everybody, you think it's going to be great. It's beautiful, etc. You put it out into the market and the market starts giving you really important feedback. And our first kind of reaction is, well, the market doesn't know what they're talking about. They just don't understand my product. They don't understand how cool this thing is going to be. And, um, you know, I, I learned and I had to learn that, right? Because I came from big corporate bureaucracy, right? You managed up, right? You, you complained, you complained up, you managed down, you know, um, you asked for feedback, but you didn't really, didn't really want it because you'd already taken your orders from above. It was very, um, you know, very bureaucratic uh, in the way that it was set up. Doing this is almost exactly the opposite. And you have to relearn some of those things. And I think that that would probably be the third thing, which is understand that there's skills that you don't have that you're going to have to learn. And it doesn't matter if you're 25 years old or 60, you're going to have a whole bunch of skills that you're either super rusty with or that you just have never needed that you're going to have to, that you're going to have to learn to be successful. And, you know, the, the art of listening is, you know, one that I was never very good at, but you just don't last very long if you, if you don't get good at it, if you don't stop talking and really listen to what people are telling you about, you know, the marketplace that you're in, the product that you're building, the company that you have, the people that you're, that you're hiring, all of those types of things. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it kind of turns, it kind of turns things upside down on you as you go out. And if you're prepared for that, um, it's actually it's actually a pretty uh, fulfilling journey that you can go on. No, I, I the feedback piece is uh, I just had a another CEO on, um, and he started at this company, and um, 
you know, they basically were saying, Hey, your main product that you think is your best thing is like, nobody likes it. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, it was actually something else that was actually really their best thing. And they just by getting feedback from, you know, actually users, they're going like, wait, we're doing this all wrong. Like we thought it was this, but it's actually this, and we can make this so much better. Um, and, you know, and I think in, for the artists is putting things out in the world. It's like, it's not going to resonate with everybody too. Like that's the other part sure. of it is testing and just experimenting and saying, Hey, there's certain things that people are going to love certain things. They're not going to understand or don't care. Um, but it's okay to have feedback and they can tell you why they don't like it or why they, you know, it doesn't work yeah. or whatever. Um, and that's, yeah, it takes some humility, right? It takes some, it does, you know, cause this is your baby, right? This is like, you're telling me my kid's ugly and you know, how dare you, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, but you have to go, okay, well maybe there's something in that, you know, um, you know, not, you said not something. You said something very important there um, that I, I want to make sure to to capture, and that is put it out into the market, right? So whether you're doing what I'm doing, or you're an artist, or you're a creator, or you're a musician, you have to put that product out into the market um, because the market is going to tell you generally what it thinks about that. And so, you know, I got a piece of advice early; it was spot on. I should have listened more to that advice when I, when I received it, it was, if you have an idea, get something built, get it out there, let people chew on it, let the marketplace tell you what it thinks about it, and then adjust as rapidly as possible. But talking to your friends and family about your idea is not getting it into the market because your friends and family are going to tell you exactly what you'd hope they tell you, which is, this is the greatest idea. You're such a wonderful person for doing it. What a smart company. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that you're doing. And this is going to be successful. You got to put it out into the real world and let that real world chew on it and give you real world feedback. And you got to do it as quickly as you possibly can. Yep. Yeah. You, you need to get your first, you know, what I call stranger, stranger sale, not, your, yeah. <laughs> not, your, not your family and friend, you know, someone you just that's don't it. know. And it's like, okay, well, that's exciting. Cause someone bought it that I don't know. And I, you that's know, it. and then they give you feedback. Well, they liked it or they didn't, or they want to, you know, it's not grandma yeah. going like, you're the greatest thing ever, Joe. And everything you do yeah. is, is right. Um, I mean, where, where Gavinga started and where Gavinga is today is literally, it couldn't, it could, it could not be more than 180 degrees, completely opposite of where it started. Now, the North Star of Govinga, which is the company is going to make an impact and it's going to empower people and it's going to allow for, you know, giving to flourish. That hasn't changed. So I think that there's an element of make sure that you're super crystal clear on what your North Star is um, and then let everything else kind of rotate around that. But don't deviate from what that North Star is, mm -hmm. but deviate from everything else based on what you're based on what you're hearing in the marketplace. Cause that, that's the difference between, you know, someone coming to you and saying, you know, this is, it's an okay idea, but you know what you really need to get into is, <laughs> is selling chicken sandwiches. Like yeah, that's what right. you need, you know, and you go, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we're <laughs> trying to do here. Um, that that's listening to the market in a wrong way, you know, that's um, correct. because I, I have seen, uh, I mean, I've had authors talk to me about, um, you know, writing romance because they know romance sells and people that read right. rom romance, read three to four books a week. And so mm -hmm. they go, I'm going to make money, but they hated their life and hated what they're writing and hated themselves. And cause they, right. they lost that North star. They, they said, no, that's not what I, that's not what I'm called to write. You know, right. this is, this is just about a money grab. Um, and that happens, you know, in all kinds of industries, right. All kinds of ways. It's like, you know, I'm just going to throw stuff out there that I don't really care about. And also long-term that's not going to, you're not going to last. You're not. And yeah. I mean, so much of this is what you, what you alluded to at the beginning. It's about what are you passionate in, right? I mean, what's driving this? What, where, where do you think this idea, what, what's the impact, what's the importance of this idea? And if you can answer that and you're passionate about it, then you can iterate around that until you get to, you know, the product market fit that, you know, you hear so much about. Um, but I mean, it took us, uh, once again, I was like, ah, it'll take a couple of years to get to product market fit. It took us five years. Mm -hmm. So just multiply it by two and a half and there you go. But it takes, you know, it takes time to it takes time and you you have to have it's it's not being humble as much as it is just being confident in the fact that you know this thing's going to get chewed on it's going to look different and the only way that it gets to a place where it's going to be appealing to a wide swath of the market is the market really has to help you build it right it's unless you are super lucky and super smart and you know you're Mark Zuckerberg and you understood exactly what you wanted to do with Facebook 
that just doesn't happen very often. I mean, I, I, I always bring up companies like Amazon. I mean, Amazon was created, they're booksellers at the beginning. And now right. look at them, right? Because right. they put that out there. They listened to the market. They iterated. They shifted. They changed. And, you know, they were very smart in the way that they did that. And now they're this massive tech company that, oh, by the way, still does sell books if you want to go on there and buy one, you know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that's the, was it MVP, minimal, minimum viable product, you know, in the software space. Yep, yep, that's it. I mean, Facebook was garbage when it first came out. I mean, it was just, I mean, it really was. I mean, it was just for like college students and it wasn't very functional and, you know, just kind of weird and how do you even get into it? And you had to be invited to be, get into it. And well, start in the Ivy leagues, right? Yeah, I mean, you had, right. if you didn't, if you weren't in Ivy league, yeah, you didn't you, have access to no, it. Right? it did, yeah. Right. And so it's interesting. Yeah. Amazon too. I mean, it wasn't great when it first was, start, you know, it's just, yeah. Bookseller, but yeah. not much else. So, um, you know, and that's good. I think people need to hear that because I think we get so paralyzed by fear. We get paralyzed by perfection. Yeah. Um, or, you know, what, what is mom going to say about this? Or what is dad? They don't understand me or understand what I'm doing. And it's, oh, that's cute. And not, you know, um, right. but that fear can cripple you to not to share your work or to ship your work, um, which I, you know, Seth Godin always says. Um, so, uh, so as you're going through this journey, um, you're, you know, you're starting this company, you're, you're leaping into the dark a little bit. Um, talk a little bit, kind of those um, people love to hear about just kind of what we'd call habits rituals, practices, like what did kind of those early days, even today, like what, what did those look like to kind of keep you kind of focused on the task? You know, like, <laughs> cause I know how it is. It's like, you don't know what you're doing or what it's going to be, but like when you're starting, it's like, what did the daily kind of rhythms practices, what did, what did that look like to kind of keep you focused on the mission of what you're trying to accomplish even today? Maybe how that's evolved too. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, there, there are a variety of things. They're kind of structural things that you do. They're, they're, they're daily things that you do. I mean, the structural things, there's, there are a few rules that I follow around the structure of the business. Um, I think, you know, um, rule number one is, you know, you really need to be honest about what you're good at and what you're not good at. Um, and, you know, if, if you know your strengths and then you know what you suck at, and we all suck at things, they're, mm-hmm. they're parts of this company that I, I'm just not good at, right? It's just not, it's not how my DNA is built. It's not how I'm structured. And if you're honest with yourself, then you can go out and you can hire people that are really, really good at that, right? And you hire good people that are smarter than you in that area. And then you step out of their way and you let them go to work. Um, You build this foundation where, you know, you walk into the room and, you know, you walk into a meeting and you look around, you're the dumbest person in the room. Right. Are you comfortable with that? Because you need to be comfortable with that. You know, if you walk into the meeting because you have to be the smartest person in the room, then you're going to be pretty much guaranteed that you're not surrounding yourself with the right with the right people. So I think it's really know your strengths and hire into your weaknesses. Get out of the way. Right. And then don't be afraid of hiring people that are smarter than you are. I mean, I I I tell people in my organization, you know, when you're hiring your next employee, you should be thinking, hey, I'm trying to hire my next boss. Right. I'm, I'm going to try and hire somebody. It's going to be so good. I could actually work for them at some point. And I think that that fosters a culture of accountability. Right. And it fosters a culture of empowerment where now you have, you know, people that feel like they're, you know, they're not taking orders from above, but they actually have real power to move the organization forward. And I think, you know, that, that word forward, we spend, I spend a lot of time talking with my team about that. It's, I get up every day and my focus on the day is what am I going to do to move something forward today? Right. I'm not worried to use, as you said, the step 10,000, if I'm on step 100, I'm worried about what step 101 is. And can I get that done today? And at the end of the day, I look back and say, okay, did I, did I move something forward today, right? Is the company better than it was when I started? And I mean, it's so much of this is just fundamental things like that. It's getting up and saying to yourself, am I, you know, making the people around me better or or am I getting in their way, right? Uh, What do my meetings look like? Are my meetings check the box, right? To get everybody together and we can all sit around and let the CEO show everybody how smart he is, right? Or are they really designed to um, empower and then move the organization forward? 
And, you know, then I think that you, when you do that, if you're honest and you're doing that, then you create a team and the team doesn't look like you, you know? I mean, I think a lot of times um, uh, CEOs are celebrated for, you know, this, the Gavinga is Joe Phoenix's company. This isn't Joe Phoenix's company. I'm, yeah, I'm the CEO. I've got a title, right? Um, but this company is about as far from my company uh, as it's as it's ever been, right? Um, we've got almost 30 people, and this company is the personalities of those people that you hire. And I think that you know, if you can get comfortable in that, and you can get comfortable in understanding that if your team looks like you, it is lethal. And if it acts like you, your company is going to die. And you really foster this uh, environment that has you know north stars. I, you know, we, we, at the organization, I, I love creative friction. I, there are parts of the business, same, same thing. You know, I've read a bunch of books around, you know, rock bands and artists, you know, there's creative friction that is um, inevitable and it's important. And I encourage it just so long as that friction f- focuses on moving the company forward and, it revolves around that core group of um, North stars and philosophies that doesn't change. So I'm more than willing to be flexible and move and move the organization around, but those core set of principles uh, stay, stay rock solid. So I think it's lots talked about culture to me, culture's people. Um, You hire good people, the potential for your organization, whether it's a startup, a company, rock band, whatever, the potential for that organization to excel uh, goes up exponentially if you, you know, if you follow the rules that I was, you know, that I've been following here. Yeah. No, culture. I mean, people always say, oh, we're going to, I'm going to have a culture like this. Well, you can't whiteboard a culture. It's actually culture is embodied in the people and the practices and the habits. So if you say we're going to be like this, well, then you better live like this or it's, right. you're never gonna have a culture that's like that. I mean, you could put it on your whiteboard, you can put it on your website, you can say we value this, but if you're not daily, like you said, if you're not giving people space to create, to challenge, but keep us focused on, then you're not gonna have a company that <laughs> has a culture of that creativity and that, you know, uh, exploration and, and, but yet still keeping our vision at the, as the main kind of driving force. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Culture is a weird thing because it is such a buzzword, but I, but I think it, it is. is, it's about habits. It's about people. It's about actual, you know, embodied <laughs> reality, not just sayings on a, on a board, you know, yeah. um, or on a, well, plaque, I think it's about, on, you know? it's about honesty too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, do, are you doing what you are espousing in your right. company? Are you, are you the first one? that is following the rules that you're, that you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? Can right. you, are you, are you living that right? Versus putting it up on the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. And are you, are you giving people the ability to, you know, honestly disagree with the mm-hmm. direction that the, that the organization's going? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the impact of that, right? Mm-hmm. How, how does, how does somebody view that as impacting their career at your organization? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, are you, are you being honest with yourself when you ask that question? Because it's not a, you know, it's not an easy one. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But it's, you know, I, th- I think that this, this whole concept of empowering the employee and, um, you know, this changing world of work, I, I absolutely agree with that. But I don't think that it's a I don't think it's a rollover and empower the employee because all the, the powers with the employee. And, you know, I, I think that there's a I think that there's a natural balance there. And I think that there needs to be you know, there's needs to be this respect between all the people that are working for the organization. And it's not really empowering one over the other. It's just building a culture that fosters this exchange of information, honesty across the culture that then, you know, allows that company to move forward. And to me, it's all about that. It's like, you know, did you did you do something today that moved you forward? And if you didn't, why not? And learn from that so that the next day you can get up and actually assess that, address it and move forward. Yeah. That's good. So Joe, when you're um, feeling overwhelmed, when you're um, burning out, uh, yeah. tired, uh, what do you do to to kind of recharge? What do you do to have fun, uh, get your head, your heart, your soul good? Um, what, what does that look like for you? I, mean, I know because I know building something, you know, it's, it can be overwhelming and physically yeah. draining, emotionally, spiritually, you know, you name it. 
Um, yeah. yeah. What are some just yeah. like fun things do you do to recharge or reset or um, do you even have time for that? <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I think you have to have time for that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's, that's super important. I, I try and carve, I try and carve an hour a day out and it's just a meeting to me, but I carve an hour a day out to work on uh, the physical side of, of the equation. I, I feel really strongly that um, whether you're g- taking the dog for a walk or getting on the Peloton or going to the gym and throwing weights around, whatever, whatever that is to you, that getting that blood pumping and getting the, the arteries moving and, you know, kind of clearing your mind, nothing clears my mind better than going and just, you know, getting that heart rate up. So I try and do that, try and do that really consistently every day. Now that doesn't work every day, but I, you know, I, I really, I've, I've lived that and it's been part of kind of my mantra for so long that it's, kind of like breathing to me right now. Um, but, you know, I think that um, you, you definitely have to, you definitely have to unwind completely, you know, like I like to strap the boards on and go slide down snowy things. Right. Um, that, that's where you, you're out of your element. And you're not thinking about anything. You're um, you're present in, you know, what you're currently doing. I think being picking things that give you the ability to be present, are hugely important, whether, you know, it's skiing down mountains or surfing or whatever it is. Right. Um, but I think that, that you have to have that and you, you have to have the ability to, to completely unplug. Um, and you know, the funny thing is I learned that in the strangest of all places. I, part of my career I spent, um, when I was at Putnam, I spent overseas and I ran there, um, I ran their international businesses and I was in London. And the first week that I was there, there was, um, there was a French team, a sales team, and their, the head of the, the, the sales team was in London. And he stopped in my office. I'd been in London for, um, I don't know, maybe two or three days. And it was late July. And he walked in and he said to me, uh, listen, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be taking vacation in August. And I said, great, have a good time. He goes, well, I will. But I just want to make sure that, I mean, you're an American. I want to make sure that you understand what I just said. I am taking the entire month of August off because that's what we do in France. We take the entire month of August off to recharge our batteries. I said, great. He goes, well, yeah, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. When I say take the entire month of August off, I will not respond to any emails. I will not answer my phone, right? I am spending time with friends and family. I will see you on September 1st. Are you good with that? And every bone in my body was not good with that, right? That is (laughs) not how American companies work. And I just remember looking at him and saying, I am. (laughs) Have a good time. And, you know, um, those guys, those guys worked 11 months out of the year. And they killed it for 11 months. And the Mm -hmm. one month that they weren't there, they were recharging their batteries. And that was just a, that was a powerful learning lesson to me that you have to recharge and you have to take time off and you have to get some balance in your life to understand that, yeah, what you're doing is scary and it's all encompassing and it's your baby. And whether it's what I'm doing or, you know, what you're, uh, you know, what this, this crowd is doing, painting, artists, musicians, you have to put all that stuff down every once in a while and really and really um, physically recharge. Yep. That's good because I mean you started saying hey you, you like to get out in the garden you know and I, I yeah think, I mean all of us you know those that are watching on video and mostly be listening to podcasts but um, we all we're all indoors you know we're artists yeah. we're writers we're running companies we're doing all kinds of stuff and it's like yeah there's something about getting our feet on the soil getting the sun in our face getting in the water getting on the snow. Like just there's just something, yeah, yeah, there's just something to that. Yeah. And I think I mean, we're, we're realizing it more and more just in this modern age that we have to turn off our phones and get in the dirt, get in the snow, get in the water, you know, stick your feet in the sand. Yeah. I yep. mean, it's, it's not, you don't have to, you don't have to go to, you know, um, you don't have to go to Fiji, right? right. Um, yeah. we, 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 my wife and I, uh, you know, two or three times a month, we'll just get in the car, we'll drive an hour and there's a super cool beach just north of Boston. It's called Plum Island. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Set up the beach chairs, sit out there for four or five hours, turn off the cell phones, turn on the tunes. And, you know, it's just oh. that type of stuff that's super important. Sure. Well, I do have to ask. So we're in Boston. Uh, who are you rooting for? Who's your, who's your team's? Uh, is it anything really, Boston? Are you really going to make me answer that? I'm going to make um, you answer it. So I, 
I, my, my, uh, my career has spanned a variety of cities. Um, so I spent 20 years in Chicago. So I'm a huge Chicago Bulls fan. Okay. Um, although I have gravitated towards the Celts over the last 10 years, just because they're, they've been such a fun organization mm-hmm. to watch. Um, I am a Bruins fan. I, you okay. just can't be, you can't be here without, without right. being a Bruins fan. Um, but I will admit that my heart lies in Denver. Uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to NFL teams, I was okay. uh, I was born and raised out there. You know, I was there when John Elway was there, and it's just part of my my DNA. Oh, yeah. So this time every year, I uh, I feel surrounded, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it you know it was actually it was actually the last decade here was phenomenal because mm-hmm. you know you're you're a Broncos fan. My team was has been. Uh, bad is to say the least uh here over the last uh decade or so and um you know you're in the goat's backyard yep and i always say to my wife i say you know i hate tom brady and she goes she looks at me she goes yeah right she goes why do you hate him i'm like uh he's six foot five he's a professional quarterback he's the greatest that ever played you know it's like she's like you don't hate him i'm like you understand quote yeah. unquote i hate right. tom brady but yeah. I've been able to, you know, sit in the backyard. I, I watched Michael Jordan. I watched John Elway. I've watched Michael Jordan. And I had a chance to watch Tom Brady. It's hard, even though they seem easy to root against. It's really hard to root against greatness like that. It's it like you have to really appreciate watching it and appreciate the fact that you have an opportunity to see it in front of your eyes. So oh, it's been, sure. a, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's been, I've been pulled in a variety of directions yeah. on that. Well, How I- about you? Well, I, I'm originally from Los Angeles, so my uh-huh. my heart goes towards underwhelming teams. But you know, the Rams broke mm. my heart and left, and then came back. So I, I don't know how I feel about them. But yeah. um, I've always been a big Clippers fan, as you can see. Mm. I can't see my shirt, but I have a yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do remember. Um, I'm old enough to remember Jordan coming through town. My my dad had season tickets to the Clippers, and uh, I just uh. even as a you know middle school high schooler, just I'd never seen anything like it. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that was I even mean, the, the back end of um, Larry Bird's career and some of these great saw magic play. Um, it's just a different, it, I, I don't even, can't even explain it. Like when you see guys that are that good, like yeah. it, it's just a sight to yeah. behold, you know? Um, it really is. So I resonate. I know you live in a place, there's championships. I lived in, you know, um, Denver for a little bit, actually Colorado Springs. And uh, yeah, it was fun to be there actually when the Rockies were good. Um, I remember that. Yeah. And then, yeah. um yeah, we were in Michigan when uh, Detroit Pistons won the championship. So you know, it's it's fun when it's in your backyard. It is. Uh, yeah. It is. Yep. Absolutely. Sure. Well, Joe, this has been uh, so fun, and uh, I Likewise. really appreciate you sharing your story, sharing the ups and downs, um, sharing your work, and uh, what you're doing is important work. So keep on, keep it on, and keep I on you, trucking. Yeah, yep. and I know you're going to help a lot of people just by this conversation and and it's so applicable to, as we talked about creativity and art and starting things and fear and, and all the, those things. So thank you for sharing your, your thoughts, your experiences, your wisdom, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. This was, um, I, when we, when we first heard that, you know, you, we were trying to line this up. I'm like, Hmm, prolific creator, Hmm, artist. Hmm. Okay. Well, it doesn't, I, I sat there and thought to myself, you know, it doesn't seem like it fits, but then the more I thought, I'm like, yeah, it fits perfectly. So this has just been a phenomenal um, conversation and um, kudos and great appreciation to all the people who are listening that, you know, are doing the things that I just don't have God's abilities to do that I wish I could. So i um, glad to be part of this today. All right. Well, thanks, Joe. All righty. Have a good one.